Stone Temple Pilots and I did not get off on the right foot. When the popular music scene started to shift in the early 90s, I was just coming into my own as a teenager with my own musical tastes, no longer content to bop my head along with whatever 80s new wave pop songs were on the radio, I was now an MTV consumer and discerning enough, at least I thought, to know just because something was popular didn't mean it was good. I was fed a steady stream of emerging alternative rock songs from my brother via mixtapes sent from California. And of course, I had Beavis and Butthead as the final arbiters of quality. I loved the guitar-driven grunge rock sound of Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Having grown up with a father who was constantly playing Neil Young and Crazy Horse, I mean, how could I not? Later on, I would fall in love with the self-deprecating punk style of Green Day and then the psychedelic rock of Smashing Pumpkins. But Stone Temple Pilots? Nah, man, zero interest. I was never a fan of heavy metal. I didn't get into the head-banging hard rock groups like Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, etc. I preferred a guitar riff that sounded like its roots were buried in Woodstock. Even though I wasn't listening to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix at the time, it was the bands that they influenced that I gravitated to. But Stone Temple Pilots? I met them through MTV sometime in 1993 with the video for Sex Type Thing. The guitar was hard-rocking, and while I admit it had a catchy hook, the opening imagery was dark, dingy, and industrial. I mean, chains were a big thing in that video. I immediately filed that away as heavy metal Slayer Metallica camp that didn't really do it for me. And that was only four seconds into the song. Then I see the band's frontman, Scott Weiland. He's got short, bleached hair, he's got his shirt off, and he's aggressively crowding the camera to take up my entire TV. Also, he seems to be threatening to rape somebody in the song. Maybe the woman chained up in the video, maybe me, I don't know, but my visceral gut reaction was, fuck this, and I turned it off. Don't worry, we will come back to this later on. The next couple of singles that the band put out didn't change my mind. Wicked Garden didn't really move my needle, and I remember mocking the lyric, I'm half the man I used to be, from Creep. So when my brother sent me another mixtape in 1994 containing half a dozen STP songs, I almost retched. But then I listened to them. These songs were from the band's second album, and they sounded... different. Now I was hearing that classic rock influence. I was hearing a modern update of Led Zeppelin and Leonard Skinner. By the time the band's third album came out, I was all in, and I loved that Scott Weiland changed his hair almost as much as Dennis Rodman. Having heard the first couple of singles off of Tiny Music, I went to the record store and bought all three of Stone Temple Pilots' first CDs. I loved them. The band could have ascended to my all-time favorites list, but then could have describes a lot about Stone Temple Pilots, especially their troubled lead singer. Scott Weiland's very public battles with drugs and alcohol overshadowed the band's upward trajectory. The fact that multiple stints in jail and rehab didn't seem to make a dent convinced me he would die, if not by the end of the 90s, then certainly young. He ended up living longer than I expected, but just a little. In 2015, he died of a drug overdose at the age of 48. I had mostly tuned him and the band out long before then, having predicted the end of the show two decades earlier. I remember a friend calling me in tears after Kurt Cobain killed himself. I didn't want to be that emotionally invested in a band or artist that I knew for certain was bound for tragedy. And that's why I've hardly thought about Stone Temple Pilots in the last 20 years. But when someone on Twitter suggested I cover them on a podcast, the memory floodgates opened up and the music 
knocked me back again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Fire and Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me here to talk about Stone Temple Pilots is the man himself. You know him, you love him, making his way from the Longbox Crusade. It's Delvin, the Dark Web Williams. Pop, pop, hiss. What's up, Delvin? Not too much, Ryan. That was one hell of an intro, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, as I alluded to, the reason this episode came about was on Twitter, uh, Diablo Frank said, I, he, he recommended publicly by adding his buddy Illegal Machine, he said, Ryan should do a Fire and Water Records episodes on Stone Temple Pilots, Beastie Boys, he threw out a couple of other names, uh, mm-hmm. with his buddy Mac. And before Mac responds, for all I know, before Mac even sees this tweet, Delvin here pops up like there's a trap door in the floor and he kind of like <laughs> springs up with his hand on his hips he's like no 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 if it's stone temple pilots i got this don't worry about it and i was like okay kind of inserting himself in the conversation this could be rough but then you start quoting lyrics back and forth with frank and i was like all right he's got his bona fides and I- i'm just waiting for mac to look at this like wait what the hell just happened first i got volunteered for something and then it got taken away from me but i've never heard back from that one so here you are, Delvin. So, <laughs> well, you know what you you can't you can't just leave a good trap door to waste. <laughs> I had it. I popped up. I used it. I cashed it in, and, and I'm here now to talk some STP, which I don't know. It's unlikely of a conversation that I I never thought I would have it. But th- this is kind of the cool thing I, I've learned about podcasting and having friends who podcast and stuff. You wind up talking about things that happened in your past like this, and it's it's cool. It was, I'm glad I did it. Then the question has to be asked, why? Why this band? Why you, like, how and when did you discover Stone Tumble Pilots and what made it meaningful enough that you wanted to talk about this? <sighs> Man, let's see. I, I'll, I'll start as, as a child. I promise this won't take long, but um, I love backstory. And in this case... <laughs> What I always tell anybody is any black guy my age, 43, if they tell you, well, I've never, I've never listened to any of that rock or anything like that, they're lying. Why? I, how, why do I think they're lying? Because by the time I'm like six, seven, eight or whatever, growing up, we listened to the exact same thing that was on the radio. And rap wasn't hugely prevalent then. Of course, R&B soul had, was there. But other than that, popular music was was rock and soft rock. So any of the early 80s hits were songs that I knew. I, I distinctly remember uh, me and neighbors singing Come On, Fill the Noise. That is not an exaggeration, by the way. <laughs> Now, go moving on, like on to, and then I, it probably helped. I was a magnet school kid as well, uh, so I went to a school not just with neighborhood kids, which for me would be ninety nine percent black. I went to magnet school with white kids, black kids, kids from different countries as well, and so that probably helped influence me listening to different types of music. 
fast forward until probably about maybe seventh grade till high school. I was in schools with mostly uh, black people and my music taste evolved, especially around rap. Like when rap came huge and prevalent, primarily because of my brother who was huge into listening to YoMTV raps, Rap City, any rap genre that I was on, he was listening to. And so, of course, I was listening to it. And that went through high school. But then I got to college and going to college, actually, right before I went to college and I was old enough to drive, first car that I had was one of those push button radios. <laughs> and one of the stations that would come in clear, clearly enough, was a mix station. And mix stations were kind of a new thing around mid 90s. And what they would advertise themselves as is music from the 70s and the 80s and new songs from the 90s, but without all the rap. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Got it. it okay. It, so I'm like, okay. And so, but the songs they started playing, like from the 80s, I remember hearing before. I'm like, I remember that song. I like that song. I'd heard that in forever. And then some of the newer stuff mixed in. So that started me. And then going to college, it, it all just came flooding in. Now, college is a lot of times you get an opportunity to do something different, something, no pun intended, alternative. And sure enough, this music floods in. And for me, like, Almost in a rush is bands like a Pearl Jam, bands like Accounting Crows, which you covered with Sean, great show, and bands like Stone Temple Pilots. It all came in a flood. I was a few years late to it, but not really because I had heard of Red Hot Chili Peppers before. I remember seeing the videos when they came out because they were on MTV and MTV blasted them. That Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. Who hasn't watched those? And by the time I got to college, I fully started realizing this stuff. And I started like the alternative for whatever reason, just really hit a nerve with me. There's something that I really liked about the whole message of, you know what? Today kind of sucked. And you know what? Tomorrow might suck, too. And I'm like, yeah, tomorrow might suck, too. And that was a far different cry from the rap that was going on, particularly of the time where a lot of it was bragging, you know, me first, I kick your ass, all this. And I'm like, oh. and so there was just something about it that just appealed to whoever I was and my sensibilities. And I'm the type of person that once I like something, unless I have a reason to go away from it, I'm going to stick with it. And Stone Temple Pilots was a big part of that. All right, cool. So yeah, uh, as as we tend to do on these uh, artist and band spotlight episodes, uh, what Delvin and I have done is we've compiled a list of some of our favorite songs or songs kind of across the spectrum of the band. And the band, as we will go through, has had a little bit of uh, different permutations, especially with the lead singer Scott Weiland and his troubles. He left the band. He was replaced a few times. He came back. He did other little solo projects. Um, so we're going to cover a lot of Stone Temple Pilot stuff, uh, some with Scott Weiland, some without him. Uh, and towards the end, we'll get into one of his other projects that I just want to mention. Um, but yeah, basically the same format that we usually do. Delvin will list a song, we'll discuss it. I'll list a song, we'll discuss it, and kind of go back and forth. Um, before that, just really quickly, just kind of general, uh, if it, listeners don't know, the band itself, it was a four-piece band uh, fronted by the lead singer Scott Weiland. The other members of the band, it was uh, led by the brothers DeLeo. Robert DeLeo, who was the bassist, but also the principal songwriter for all of the music. Uh, actually, and then his brother Dean was the guitarist, and then the drummer Eric Kretz, 
and they all kind of met uh, and were living together, like starting with the late 80s, which I think was what kind of the case for a lot of the, the bands that kind of emerged in the early 90s grunge scene. They started a few years and it took them a little while to break out. Um, but yeah, from there, uh, Delvin, why don't you tell us the first song that you want to talk about on this episode? Okay, the first song that I want to talk about is Big Empty. It was from the Crow soundtrack that came out in 1994, and it was also from Purple, their second album, which came out in 1994 as well. Driving faster in my car Falling farther from just what we are Let me tell you what I think about when I, I I definitely think about the crow when I think about Big Empty and and this is a part of that musical transformation that I was in because I distinctly remember seeing the commercials for Crow and the song that they used as the advertisement for the crow was Big Empty and I remember something about it just yep. hit my ear <laughs> and and I was like what is that. Like even more than the movie, which I didn't watch until years later, that song just really stuck out to me. And I just, man, like that was probably the start of uh, the love affair you know, that I have with SCP is that song. I had the exact same intro. Uh, like, as I mentioned, I was not a fan with the band. I kind of filed them away and I, I didn't like, like the, the first, like the singles from their first album core that I had heard. This was the first song that I had heard of theirs that I liked, and it kind of snuck up on me because, it, it, just like you said, I remember seeing advertisements for The Crow, uh, and I remember hearing this song in it, and like this kind of like twangy acoustic guitar and everything, and when it mm-hmm. kicked into that chorus part with that heavy drum, and I was like, mm, I like this song. I'm trying to, I'm trying to resist, but. Uh, this is a pretty good song. Uh, so I almost like, gosh, I would have probably at the time, I probably would have thought of this as a guilty pleasure um, yeah. because I liking the song and thinking that I didn't like the band. Uh, happy to find, like by the time I started getting into them, uh, because this this was close to sort of the turning point when my ideas were changing. Um, and yeah, this was like such a, a big hit that they were like, yeah, let's slap it on the next album too, just to make sure it has more commercial viability too. So yeah. Yeah, it was a great idea for them to do that. And this is just a start of particularly from Core, which I love and it's their essential album in a lot of ways. But it was it was heavy. It was very heavy. And for them to slow the song down like that and for Wyland's vocals to come in and you're right. Just I mean, the guitar was great on it, but just that lead into the chorus with that drum line is just mm-hmm. like, yeah. And and where I guess in core, maybe he would go heavy in that. He didn't. And 
Yeah, just a great song. I did a little bit of reading as far as notes go, and they said that the song was originally called Only Dying. But when the star of the movie, the crow Brandon Lee, was accidentally killed during the filming, they changed the title out of respect for the actor. I can understand why they would do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I never, I didn't know that, but yeah, that absolutely, I, I, I think that was probably a smart, <laughs> uh, diplomatic decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more thing, just because generally I like songs for either the memory they evoke or just like how the song or beat overall makes me feel. I don't always delve into the lyrical contents, but it seems like on this song, I didn't necessarily have to because it was kind of a thematic song in that it was kind of built to mean what you want it to. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a specific meaning that Wyland or Endelio had behind the song. Yeah, and th- that'll be a little bit thematic as we go through some of our lists. Like, Scott could definitely have some heavy subjects and heavy themes to his songs. But he has also admitted that for some songs, he just he had kind of a, a verse or a line or a, a rhyme scheme in mind that he just played with, and he riffed, and some of it was because he was high as a kite when he was writing some of these things. So he just he liked the sound, and they, they were gibberish. They didn't mean anything, but they sounded kind of cool. So, you know, d- d- depending on what song you pick, it might be really meaningful and really poignant, or it might just be fluff, but the band made it sound good. Yeah. God, yeah, I still, when I hear this song, I, I close my eyes and I think of that car driving off a pier and exploding, and then the fire tracing the outline of the crow, the bird shape and everything. I can still see that visual. Yeah. Uh, all right, from there we move on to my first pick of this episode, and we're sticking with the same period, the second album, Purple. The song is Vaseline. is intentionally or accidentally misspelled. Um, I don't know if it's like if they thought it was supposed to rhyme or supposed to look like gasoline, but it, it is. It, they do have an O in the word, and the the balm medicated stuff does not have an O. Um, anyway, this was the first Stone Temple Pilot song on the mixtape that my brother sent me in '94. So this was, a good one. Yeah, this was like the the one that like kicked it off for me that I listened to. It really caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting something like this, and I really liked it. So it's it has a that very nostalgic and profound place in my heart, and I just I, I really really like it. Um, the song, the guitar part, 
didn't have the same heavy metal distortion sound from Core. It was much fuzzier. This is where I started hearing more of that 70s classic and southern rock sound. And there was the accompanying video for this one that I really liked, and I was getting a much different vibe from Scott Weiland. It's like his, his look, his hair was growing out a little bit, and that I saw more of a... I, I don't know, it, 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 like the it, depending on what his facial hair looked like, it could kind of disguise his look. But like for for a certain period of this, I kind of always felt like he had very soft, almost feminine features. Like yeah. I could almost, yeah. I could almost picture him in drag. I'm not sure if I ever saw him that way, um, but I could kind of see that. And I was like, this does not seem like the guy from the video for sex type thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this so this was really just like Big Empty primed me to have a change of mood or a change of heart for the band but when i heard this one i was like okay maybe i need to reevaluate it because this song doesn't sound like what i was expecting and this song is great so yeah i I love me some vaseline so we talked about core and i i wonder was the idea for that heavy theme just to match with the grunge of the time that was heavy and the producer which was brendan o'brien i think told them, hey, let's make this heavier and edgy and let's get them hooked and then we can go back to what you guys are all about. Because you're right, just Purple as a whole and Vaseline, of course, is a great song of theirs. It's definitely one of the more recognizable songs of theirs. That drum line that starts the song. And this is, you've got me talking about drum lines, which is definitely a good sign that I like the group because generally... What I listen to when I listen to a any song is the front man because like I am a super duper amateur karaoke singer and so like I'm listening to like things that the front man's doing because if I ever decided to do a song that's what I would key in on but that drum line leading into the song as soon as you hear it you're like yeah that's Vaseline. Mm-hmm. And it also just shows you what a complete band that they are, that you can have that drum solo coming in like that, because not every band would want to showcase their drummer. Yeah. That drummer is just that person that's just there to kind of carry the beat, but it's carried by either the guitarist, uh, lead guitarist or the front man. But yeah, it shows what a strong song and what a strong band they are. Yeah. All right. Where do we go from there? Looks like we are going to the aforementioned sex type thing, which was from Core in 1992. Yeah, I read a decent amount of things about sex type thing that I didn't know about. I guess I'm just one of those naive people that, yes, the song is called Sex Type Thing. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking it's about sex, duh. But I didn't really put any context uh, behind that. And then like maybe a couple of years later, like, oh, here I come. Oh, 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 gee, yeah, I know what he's talking about there. Uh, that, that's not exactly clean. And then honestly, Ryan, it wasn't until I read about it just a few days ago leading up to this. I didn't know that the song was designed to be ironic uh-huh. talking about date rape. And it was specifically made because he had a girlfriend in high school who was raped by three guys, which sounds just horrible. And he made this song. This song, a lot of heavy metal type people keyed in on because they thought that he was, since the song is in first person, he was talking about aggression and being that type person. And he was mocking that type person. Right. So to completely get his point across, he would change into a dress and put lipstick on and smear his face with it that lipstick to get across to the audience that he was talking about date rape i didn't know any of that and reading about that i'm like goodness (laughs) (laughs) because the type of crowds that they were drawing were you know those metal types and so those guys those hard dudes would see him come out and drag and i'm like wait wait a minute what is this yeah yeah to me, I, I picked up on it right away, and the difference was I was at a younger age and didn't know songs could be ironic. <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't, I didn't know the singer could be in, in this case, an unintentional, an unintentional, unreliable narrator. So yeah, so that, that the fact that he was, I mean, I took, I took the POV of the of the character of the singer is more straightforward. Um, and it was only when I came back and looked at it more with time um, that I could see what he was doing. So. Yeah, I mean, as I said at the beginning, uh, I the first time I heard the song, I hated it. I, I just hated it. I thought that it was identifying with the rapist, yeah. somehow glorifying it or justifying it. I mean, the lyrics, I mean, he, he puts it out there. He's, I am a man. I'll give you something that you won't forget. You shouldn't have worn that dress. Uh, yep. Just things like that. And I was just like, mm, no. I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why is then, this he re- then he repeats that line. Yeah, yeah. And shouts it. Yeah, exactly. And then by the time I had heard their other stuff and I kind of knew more what they were about, I was like, I don't. And then, yeah, then I was reading up that this was about uh, like a, an event that happened to him personally. And he was sort of channeling that putting that out there, making it an issue that he was like Trump wanting to address, wanting to call attention to. Not that he was identifying that, um, but that he was being ironic and subversive in using a first-person POV for this thing. I, I mean, it, it's when you get into that headspace, it is really dark. I mean, like the lyrics when you put it, it's like, dude, yeah. dude, what do you think? But um, yeah, in a sense, I mean, once you know what his, his intentions are, then it becomes that much more powerful. And on the face of it, once once I could once I understood that, once I could look past that, then I'm like, well, this is just a great damn song. I mean, this is just such a, a heavy like heart like I mean, it, as a rock song, it sounds great, it's fast, it's energetic. Mm-hmm. Um I, I read actually one review uh said like this song and the band, the the album core, like that sound sounded like Pearl Jam crashed a car into Alice in Chains. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. That yeah. one made me want to like it, especially Tin Pearl Jam is my favorite, and yeah. Alice in Chains, I like them a lot. 
Yeah. Um, and there was another out. Al- there was another song on this album called Cracker Man that I also really, really liked. But I left it off my list because I think it sounds too close to Sex Dating and another song that I'll come to at the end. Um, but that it kind of they all sound a little bit more like so. Um, yeah, yeah. So good song, good good selection. If yes, you sir. if you hadn't picked this one, I certainly would have because there's so much to talk about. So. There's one thing I want to add just on the rock side of it. Uh, Eric Kretz was saying that down in like South America, like it's, it was like a super popular song because like people are just jumping up and down and like just like to the point that they're shaking the ground. They like the song that that much. So and juxtapose that with Scott Weiland being disappointed because fans were moshing to the song mm. because he's like, no, that's not what this song was about. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have made the song rock so damn hard, Scott, because yeah. people are going to do that at a concert. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, you, I mean, you, if, you need to think about how you present the, the, the <laughs> music to the audience if you want to get the point across. All right, then, moving on to my next song, we are jumping to the third album, uh, which the album was called Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. It came out in 1996, and my first pick is the first single from the album, Big Bang Baby. a song from the third album uh, because uh, and it was either it was either this or the second single tripping on a hole in a paper heart uh, I like them both a whole lot ultimately I went with this one because I like it better uh, I also think it has a little bit more of a distinct sound it's a little bit more memorable um, and, and as I said in the intro I was primed for this third album by the time it, it came out um, according to my research this the album came out right after this first single was released like they were like in conjunction with each other my memory is i didn't get the album until the second single came out but uh, so maybe that was the case or maybe i'm just misremembering it but i remember being excited for the album so i can't imagine that i would have waited so many months um maybe it was a money thing because i know i i I had enough spare change that i got all three cds at the same time Yep. I really like the song. It reminded me of something kind of retro. I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, Scott, he, he says the line, Big Bang Baby. It's a crash, crash, crash. He has said that that lyric is an homage to the Rolling Stones' Jumping Jack Flash. It's a gas, gas, gas. Hmm. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. Um, also, the video really helped push this one because if you see the video – it is it's an homage to a lot of like 80s you know early proto mtv uh hits and everything because it's just the band in a stark white background it Mm. looks like it was shot on videotape i think it is shot on videotape instead of film so it has that old look and it just reminds me of like videos like by the buggles with video kill the radio star or jay giles band or something like that um, just really funny, and and Scott is he's got like these bright like lime green pants and like this fresh like red hair and everything. It's just yeah, very interesting, very catchy. So I applaud you for being able to remember the videos. 
Oh yeah, too. this one especially. And I this by the time they got to their third album, which ninety six puts me at sophomore year in high uh, not high school, excuse me, college. I was I was on board with them. I know I picked it up and compared to core, absolutely different. And so when a band changes its style or does something a little different than what you came on board with. And I mean, there's really one of two reactions. You're either going to say, I love this band. I like that they're doing different stuff. I'm with them no matter what. Or you're going to like, this is stupid. They don't sound like they did. They've sold out or something and you just move on. And I I was still firmly on board with Stone Temple Pilots at this point. I liked it. I liked that it was a little bit trippy. The whole album kind of was. And it was gentle sometimes and playful sometimes, but that driving sound was definitely still there. Yeah, I, I didn't like it as much as Purple overall, although I'll, I'll come back to another song from this album. Um, I think this album overall was very uneven, uh, which I think like kind of like they tried to do a lot of different things. But I also know like this this album was written in the midst of when when Scott's addictions really started becoming a problem that he couldn't mm-hmm. control um, because they couldn't, I don't think they could tour for this album. I think that was, I think that was when he went to jail. It was right after this album came out uh, the first time. Cause I don't think they toured for this album at all, or they maybe it was interrupted or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I'm pretty sure he was really, he was, he was having a lot of trouble during the making of this album. And, and I think the sound, yeah, I, I it just doesn't seem as the album itself isn't as cohesive. I don't think. Still, yeah, they, still, still has a lot of great material, but as a piece, I don't think it's as good as Core or Purple. Yeah, they may have, they may have toured a little bit because I want, I, I'm not going to remember the year I went to see them. It was in Birmingham. It was either I'm guessing '96 or '97 that I saw them, and I know they. St- it was probably '96. It had to be, and they stopped touring very shortly after and it was because they had to take a break because of what you just mentioned about Wyland and which is unfortunate and yeah read listening through the album in preparation for uh, this podcast like the last song is called seven cage tigers and hell if I know what that song's about it's like oh okay like you someone had to be tripping balls on that song it was it's a fun pleasant enough song but like you're never gonna see anyone pull that one out at the party and everyone's like, yeah, seven cage tigers, man. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> All right, then from big bang, baby, where do we go? We go backwards, but we're still talking about the band and its rich style. We're talking about plush, which originally came out uh, at the core album in 1992. But the version that I want to discuss came from the unplugged album that came out in 1993.
song (laughs) what I remember from it is that unplugged or first of all I love the concept of unplugged if you are a band that is worth its salt you can do your rocking songs and then if you can strip it down to just the bare elements of the song and just the harmonies and just simple music oh Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And when it came to Plush, I, I think I read something that they showed up to that show and it was maybe, uh, maybe I'm getting that confused with, um, they did another MTV show at the time or around the same time. And I'm going to blank on the name of that show. Anyway, one of those shows they showed up to and they were all a little bit messed up. And I, know, I remember. I know the story. Yeah, I know. It was actually, it was a Headbangers Ball. Thank you. Um, and it, yeah, and they were they were asked to come in basically to do an interview because yeah, going back, the song, the the original album version was a huge hit. It was like one of their breakouts that actually won the Grammy for best hard rock performance for the album version for Plush. Um, mm-hmm. So the the band was invited to go on Headbangers Ball to talk about it. And Dean DeLeo was like, well, how about I bring an acoustic guitar and we could just do like a little set there on the thing. They're like, yeah, fine. So you're you're right. The night before. They got into some drugs that really did a number on them. And Scott was like, they woke up, they were sick as hell, like could barely walk. And he described it, they were basically walking zombies. But he and Dean went to do the taping of the show, like at six in the morning. Um, and just with the, the acoustic guitar and just on a headbanger's ball of all things, they recorded nice. this, yeah, this tiny little acoustic version of Plush, this quiet one. And it was so good that radio stations started playing that version instead of the album version. And that yeah. became a super popular hit. And I remember maybe he was tripping too on the unplugged version because I remember he was in this rocking chair. Mm-hmm. But it fit the mood of the song so perfectly. And for them to take a banging song like Plush, because the core version is wonderful and a great song to sing about or to sing, then for them to strip it down how they did it. And I remember I looked for that song everywhere and couldn't find it i'm like surely they're going to release the stone temple pilots unplugged album nope they did <laughs> and it and, and it drove me crazy and it didn't really happen until last year when they came out with a 25 year remaster and one and they lit they put the song list of unplugged and, and i saw them like oh my god I mean, oh, oh my God, unplugged. That's that's kind of cool. And and listening to it again just took me right back to that first time I saw. Man, I love this song. Yeah, I yeah I, I noticed that too when you mentioned. It. I was like, oh, I was like, I don't. I was like, I know they must have done unplugged. I think I saw it, but I was like, they never released that. And then when I was looking up, I was like, oh, they did they did a an anniversary reissue of Core. I think it's like a three disc one. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it has it has like all of their unplugged uh, performances too. Um, the only other thing I would add is like the, the song apparently was written. <laughs> Scott has said that, um, he, he and the drummer, Eric Kress actually helped write the lyrics for this one or helped like compose the song. And they wrote it while they were sitting in a hot tub after some party or something. And they were watching the news and, uh, there was a woman who was basically found dead or something like that. Or, like her body was found and, and like they were like the news coverage of that. And that's where Scott came up with the lyrics when the dogs begin to smell her. 
or something like that. Um, yeah, it was coming from that. So again, well, kind of like a, a grisly, horrific thing that inspired this song. But yeah, I wish I knew why. You know, I have to put this on here. I wish I knew why they called the song "Plush" because it's not. It was one of the songs, and I think there's another one that they have that it's not in the song at all. I wonder if they call it plush just because they were sitting in a hot tub when they did it. <laughs> I don't know. God, yeah. I think yeah, I think it was kind of trendy at the time to just come up with weird, weird one-word names for like songs and everything like that. Like, like half of the Smashing Pumpkins songs were just weird words that didn't mean anything. <laughs> All right, um, moving on. Going back to the album Purple. Uh, this is the song Unglued. So in spite of what I said about kind of being averse to that heavy metal, that thrash and speed metal sound, I do love a good hard rock song when I hear one, and this is one. Uh, I put this in sort of what I mentioned before, the trifecta with Sex Type Thing and Cracker Man uh, from Core. I think this song sounds like those, and they, the, all three of them are very similar in structure and kind of of a piece. Lyrically, the song is very simple. It's almost kind of pedestrian. There's really not much to the lyric, except that it's almost kind of comically spot on for Scott Weiland. It starts with the line, moderation is masturbation. What is what and what makes you feel good? And then the the chorus is just, I got this feeling coming over me, over me. I got this feeling coming over me. And it sure sounds like he's talking about his addictions and his trouble with, with substance abuse and things like that. The uh. only other detail that I found, and this was just something on Wikipedia. Wikipedia says that this is the last song that Scott Weiland performed before he died. Um, I could not confirm that. I looked up stuff about that last concert. I couldn't find a track list. There is footage that fans in the crowd took of his final performance. Um, I definitely know he played the song Vaseline. Uh, and this was not Stone Temple Pilots. His his final performance, They were, he was out of the band at that point, and he was playing with a side project called The Wildabouts, Scott Weiland and The Wildabouts. Um, and there's footage from that concert of him playing songs like Vaseline, and there's like footage of like the final like seconds after the whatever song they played was over, and he's he's glad hitting. It was like a small, intimate kind of club type of uh, type of venue, and he's he's you know high fiving the people in the crowd, and he's doing like a little bow. He was he was dressed up in like a gray suit. He looked sharp, but yeah, he also kind of looked like he was a little bit out of it. And then he walked off stage, and they canceled a few shows after that, and he was eventually found dead in his um in his tour bus in Minnesota. I think that final concert was actually in Toronto or Montreal, somewhere in Canada, Toronto, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, it, so I, I don't know if this is the last song that he performed or not. I couldn't, I couldn't verify that. Um, but it is a song from that. I've always loved from purple. It's one of my favorite songs from that album. If so, certainly apropos, if it was the last song I've learned that if I ever have any questions about what a song's about, it's drugs. <laughs> and sure enough, when just looking through it and Apple Music has this cool thing where it, you can le- uh, read along with the lyrics if you want to. And I'm sitting there reading the lyrics and I'm like, hmm, and let me check and 
just see what this song's about. Go to the Google machine and look, and up, oh, yep, it's it's heroin. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about his addiction, but again, it's like, dude, you can't talk about something so sad but have it rock like this because, like, my rock brain is gonna go before my sympathy brain does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bring on more of this. I want more of this. <laughs> You're killing the man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, what do we got? I want to. I can. I can do a small transition if, if you would allow me. I will. Uh, it, one of the sadder moments in alternative music is when Stone Temple Pilots decided to fire Scott Weiland in 2013, and you could imagine that that had to be a moment of they're just they're just tired. They're just done. It's just one of those relationships that it was abusive, and you just you can't take anymore, and you just have to move on. This wasn't the first time that the group split up with Scott Weiland, and that leads me to my next song, which is Hello, Hello by Talk Show from the album Talk Show that came out in of the bona fides that Ryan was talking about because when we were discussing it in chat and Twitter, I don't think you had ever heard of the group talk show. Am I correct? I had not. I knew that the band did other stuff without Wyland, but I wasn't interested enough to like pursue that. I could never tell you what the name of the other band was, what the project was. Well, sure enough, shortly after uh, Scott Wyland needed to take a break from the band for alcohol, drug-related reasons, the band kept going. Apparently, they had a guy in the waiting, Dave Coots is his name, and he's from another group whose name I'm not going to remember, something about 10-inch giants or something. Anyway, yeah, so they had this guy, Dave Coots, and they recorded an album uh, called, called Talk Show. And I remember it. And so I was like, well, I like Stone Temple Pilots, so I'll pick this up. And I picked it up. I read about it. There's not a ton that's mentioned across the Internet about this album, about the songs. And it's probably because it wasn't super popular, but it wasn't. And I think they were they were mismarketed for one. One, it's Stone Temple Pilots without Scott Weiland, which I'm sure some people would have thought was Stone Temple Pilots. Mm -hmm. 
But then they went with like this really vapid song as the lead song off the album that's called Everybody Loves My Car, which, I mean, would you want to listen to a song called Everyone Loves My Car? Does that sound like a song you want to listen to? If it was by Batman, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, if Prince made it. Yeah, 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 there you go. Absolutely. Because I assume car is a metaphor. <laughs> like little, like little right. red Corvette was. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, they just, they were badly mislabeled, but Hello, Hello, which was a song really just about seeing probably your standard Hollywood girl who's taken it a little bit too far was a fun song. And the album overall was pretty good. And if you like Stone Temple Pilots enough, I really do think that you should take a little bit of time just go and listen to the to the album because it was a fun album and it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, as you as you said, I I had never heard this um, before you brought it up in our chat, and uh, I did know that the other band had done something, but I I didn't know the name of the band, and I wouldn't have looked it up. Um, but I I like this song. This is a good song, and I can hear the Stone Tumble Pilots in this song, and I can yeah. imagine Scott singing this song actually. But I can also hear other bands' influence, and I, I don't know anything about this this Coots guy and Ten Inch Men, like the other band. The vocal, like I can almost hear a little bit of like the Gallagher's, like this um this could almost be an Oasis song. I hear a little bit of that. Um, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, like just like I, I maybe it's just a little bit of the sound and and a little bit of the voice. I can kind of hear a little bit of Liam Gallagher singing this. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good song. It's a nice. It's a more. It feels a little bit more polished than Stone Temple Pilots. At least the early Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, maybe like by this point they were kind of their their sound was evolving. Um, but I can yeah I can close my eyes and I can picture Scott singing the song and it being a good uh, just another STP hit. Yeah, it would have been a good one. And at this point, it was probably a palate cleanser for the. Uh, for the DeLeos and for Kretz to yep. just have somebody that was relatively sober and able to show up and do recordings. Professional, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty then, moving on, uh, we go back to the third album, Tiny Music, and the song is Lady Picture Show. Lady Picture Show, she hides behind the bedroom door. Lady Picture Show, she hides Once is not enough. This is another song about rape. <laughs> um, Scott has said that this song was written about a dancer who is the lady picture show of the title, who was violently gang raped and later falls in love, but can't let go of the pain uh, of that experience. And that's that's how you get the sort of the, the subject of the the lyrics. And especially there, there's a line in here that kind of kills me. It's your wedding presents not so daisy picture perfect anymore. And I'm like, wow, what a screwed up, but also like kind of a beautiful detail to 
kind of like to cue into uh, for this thing, for the, this this just abusive, traumatic experience. Um, to to cue into a detail like that, your wedding presents not so daisy picture perfect anymore. I'm like, oh, it's it's grisly, but it's also so perfectly stated. Yeah, that that's yeah. now with the context of the song that I didn't know about. Yeah. That's a cynical but sad but yeah. grisly line. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a, the the lyrics are are morose and everything because this is Scott dealing with his uh, his addiction. Um but the music it's it's kind of catchy. It's not a ballad per se, but it is more a little bit more downbeat. Um there's a really like the the bass line in this is really pronounced like really loud. And Robert DeLeo, he wrote the music and he said he was inspired by a bad finger song called Apple of My Eye. As I said, you know, kind of getting back, I, w- I was really excited for this album. I listened to it when I got it, and I didn't think it was as good as Purple, but this song jumped out at me. And I think this was before, because this eventually became a single, but mm-hmm. I loved this song before then. And I remember thinking this was my favorite song on the album, and really possibly my favorite Stone Temple Pilots song. And it still might be. I mean, the subject matter matter is is terrible, but it's like the the melody, the harmony, and everything of what he gets into. And um, yeah, yeah, I just I, I've always really dug this song. Yeah. It's so interesting what passes off as a pop song. This was this was a pop song, and I know this is a completely separate artist, but it makes the point. I mean, I know you've heard of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And like you're humming along to the song, say Starboy, for instance. <laughs> and like if you listen to the lyrics, you stop like from like, man, this is an infectious beat, man. Like Weekend can sing his butt off. Yeah, like, wait, cut that ivory into skinny pieces, then she cleans it with her face. He's talking about cocaine, mm-hmm. huh? And you would never know it because it's just pretty. <laughs> And he's just singing along. And so let's go back to this song that I didn't look up because this was your song. And and I'm totally surprised. I did not know this song was talking about a, a woman who was uh, horribly raped and, and how he is. Yeah, that's in light of that, that such a pretty that such a horrible subject was put under such a pretty pretense. It's it's jarring, actually. It's jarring. I mean, this did make me think, okay, how many songs are they going to write about this subject at this point? I was, I was like, dude, dude, really? Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's that. And I, I remember feeling a little bit of a sense of validation when this became a single um, because I was like, I knew that was going to be a good hit. So, And it was. Yeah. All right, I think we need to uh, get off the third album. So where do we go from there? Well, after three, uh, my Alabama math shows me correctly is four. And the song I picked from their fourth album, which is called Number Four, was Atlanta, which came out in 1999. You're a credit to the Alabama school system. <laughs> well, their public school system, too, you know? <laughs> like, there, there's hope for us yet. She lives in the bungalow. She
about Atlanta coming into it and this is why I picked it I remember hearing the song and it struck me as just different and it certainly did remind me of Jim Morrison of The Doors and it just seemed like a beautiful song and a vulnerable song Uh, sometime around 99, 2000 or whatever I go out to visit my uncle uh, in New Mexico and his older son, John, was really into the 70s sound. And I remember at the time, because I'm still into Stone Temple Pilots, into my grunge and stuff like that, but wanted to share a moment with him. And I I played him Atlanta. And he was like, man, I like this. This is this is really good. And so I'm like, I'm cool by proxy. <laughs> so there, there was that. And then I started doing my research on it, Ryan. And I think maybe a couple of years ago, they did an interview with the uh, remaining members of STP and they pulled Atlanta as a remaster and they played it. And this was they wanted to use this as their tribute song for Scott Weiland. And some like I need to find this interview again and show it to you, man, because some of the they just let his vocals play out stripped of the music and it was haunting because he's talking about his he's about to divorce his wife mm-hmm. um who clearly he loves dear, dearly and clearly she's the one who decided to move on and I'm imagining there are multiple reasons why but his lyrics were haunting and like you could there was a moment even after it was done where all of them were just quiet and they were just like, I mean, and it just really affected them. So that made me doubly glad that I picked the song because even the band thought that that was just a distinct moment with his vocals where he just stood out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you picked this song because I probably would have forgotten it and not really thought about it. Um, I passed on the album number four when it came out, um, I, I was, I mean, there was a, there was a three year gap between this and tiny music when I was kind of moving on and I just had a, a bad feeling about where Scott's trajectory was going. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, they, they led the album with the, uh, the song sour girl, which I just didn't really like. And it had a music video with Sarah Michelle Geller that I, there was weird. It was a weird video <laughs> that I didn't like. And, and I just remember hearing that song a lot, and I was just eh, so kind of it. It just gave me the wrong impression. So I didn't buy the album. Eventually, a few years later, I heard it. Like I heard a friend's copy, uh, and this song buried at the very bottom. I, I was kind of like zoning out and not really paying much attention to it until this song. And I was like, did somebody change the CD on me, and I not pay attention or something like that? Like it, like it just kind of perked up. I was really in. And you're right. Like the the thing I would have said, I was like sounds like Jim Morrison. Like, is he channeling Jim Morrison? This could be a door song or something like that. Haunting is probably the right word to go with this. Uh, as he said, like, it just, the, his vocals are really, really powerful. Uh, singing about uh, his wife, who he <laughs> refers to as the Mexican princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, gosh, I, I don't have much more to say. It's just, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a heartfelt song. And yeah, for them to come back and talk about this 
posthumously for him. Yeah, that's that's incredible. The only thing that I want to add to it is apparently he was channeling uh, Jim Morrison and the Doors with the reference of the word bungalow because they're not really a lot of bungalows in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. But he used that because the Doors in several of their songs used the word bungalow and it was kind of a throwback and a tip of the cap to them. Well, if Stacey Abrams becomes governor next time, then that'll be... Uh, she should get some bungalows coming to Atlanta. <laughs> All right. Um, then moving on from my last song, this is not a Stone Temple Pilots song. Um, and it's not a band that is 75% Stone Temple Pilots, like with Talk Show. Uh, but this was Scott Weiland's other project, not The Wild Abouts, um, and not he had one called Art of Anarchy. This was from the mid-2000s when he joined the supergroup called Velvet Revolver. Uh, and this is a song, this is, I think, the second single from their first album, which is called Contraband, and the song is Fall to Pieces. Yeah, uh, much as you did with uh, with ta- the talk show song, I wanted to represent something that Scott Weiland did outside the band. Um, and I remember, I, I remember being very excited when I heard about this project, this Velvet Revolver, um, because it was three members of Guns N' Roses that I was a big fan of. Um, mm-hmm. Another guy, the the guitarist, or, um, the bassist from a group called Wasted Youth, uh, and Scott Weiland on vocals. And I listened to the album from start to finish, and it was a bittersweet experience because as I'm listening to the album, I'm thinking, I can hear Axl Rose doing this, and this should have been the Guns N' Roses comeback album. I was like, this should have been them coming back. And when I listened to the song Fall to Pieces, it's like a rock, almost power ballad, but it's just got like this really radio-friendly pop sensibility. I mean, there's there's some hard drive and heavy metal like songs on this one, but this one isn't that. It's got more of a of a fluid kind of pop sentiment to it. And I'm I'm listening to this and I'm thinking if Axl Rose was singing this, this could be like another sweet child of mine, mm. uh, one of those types of hits. Um, it's just it's a really st- strong song. He he sounds great in it. But, yeah, it's another one of those that is just so predictive, just on the musical level. He's saying, every time I've fallen down, all alone, I fall to pieces. The music video for this, and again, I've revisited the music videos, is all about a band performing and an overdose. And there's, like, the like Scott is with some girl. She overdoses in the bathroom and dies, and she's taken away in the, uh, by the paramedics, and the band thinks it's him. But they find out that he's in another room. He's overdosing, but he's still alive, and the band has to seek him. And you, you watch this thing, and it's like... Uh, it's It's intense, but you also watch it, and it's like... Are they, like, did he even know the cameras are running? Like, this looks like, I mean, but also, I mean, coming from the band, like, the Guns N' Roses guys who have seen this stuff, too, with memory, like, 
how do you take an experience that familiar that they've probably lived with and, and had like these horrific experiences and then dramatize yourself in a music video and do that? Like, it, like I'm like, at some point you're like, it's like art imitating life to an offensive degree. <laughs> Because you're, like, you're like, I could be watching this guy dying in this music video, and then knowing ten years later, it's gonna happen pretty much just like that. Mm. Um, so it, I mean, it's just this, that was also part of the reason why I picked this one because the the video and the nature of the song just feels very predictive of the fate that where this guy was tragically destined to go. Um, but it's also just a great rocker, and and I I like it. I. I, I really like that that first album by Velvet Revolver. I wish it was a Guns N' Roses album, but as I mean, Scott Wyland is a great frontman too, so I like it enough as it is. Yeah, it's fitting because even on that lyric of falling down, like it even goes from high to low, falling down. Just yep, that, they nailed that. Now, also, since you put the image in my head about it possibly being a Guns N' Roses comeback album that wasn't. I mean, could you imagine Axl Rose singing Slither? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, oh. Yeah, Slither. Killed Slither it. The first song on the album, Sucker Train Blues, I think is another one that would be... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I did not listen to a lot of Velvet Revolver, but Fall to Pieces was a radio song, and I did like it a lot. And... I like the idea of the super band and I'm glad that they were able to come together and make some cool music because they came out with another CD, right? They did have a second album. I, I listened to it and didn't care for it much. I think it had one or two songs that I liked, but I think I just downloaded them and I never gave the whole album much of a shot. Gotcha. I could be misremembering that, but I think they actually, one of the, one of them was a cover version of psycho killer by talking heads. And I remember a song she builds, Quick Machine. Yes, yeah, that was I think the first. That was the first, maybe the only single from the second album. Okay, yeah, but overall, I, I'm glad that you did pick it because seeing the song, it did make me smile. I didn't know that the video was so on the nose. Goodness, but <laughs> great song. Ah, uh, okay, so we've got one more song. What are you going to finish us off with? So. Scott Weiland was fired from the band, tragically enough, and we've talked about that. And the person that enthusiastically volunteered to pick up the frontman duties was Chester Bennington of Linkin Park fame. And so the first album that they came out with, or it was more of an EP, it was called High Rise. And the song I picked is called Tomorrow from 2013. Oh 
between tomorrow, which is the last song on the EP, and Out of Time, which is more of that Stone Temple Pilots fast song, driving song. But as luck would have it, I, I like tomorrow because it was a little slower stripped down. Uh, it hits on a lot of the uh, Scott Weiland marks with the lyrics, and it was interesting to hear Chester Bennington with such a booming mega voice do a Scott Weiland imitation. He wasn't doing an imitation. It was definitely his own, but it was interesting hearing him hit those marks that Scott Weiland hit. And the song Tomorrow was a song about being on the road. And, and Chester Bennington was mentioning, like, sometimes you're gone from home. Maybe it's five days. Maybe it's five weeks. And that first week and a half, you're gone and you're out on tour. That adrenaline's hitting and the time just flies by. And then usually the next couple of weeks, it, it comes down about real time again. And for whatever reason, just that last day, that last stop just seems to take forever. And he was singing about coming home to see his family tomorrow. And something about that is very poignant and sweet and just staying alone. And then considering that, unfortunately, we lost Chester Bennington a short time ago, it just makes it a little bit more noteworthy as well. Yeah, this is another one. I, I wasn't familiar with this one until you put it on the list. I hadn't heard the, their later stuff. Um, I did know that they recorded with him. Uh, or I knew that. Uh, sorry, I knew that they toured with him. I didn't know that they had recorded anything, any new material. Uh, so that was that was a surprise to me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is also, I think, getting to the the poignancy that you were mentioning. This is about a the singer of the band who is so in love with his wife and his family that he can't wait to get back to them, and how torturous the road is on that relationship and how it's just if he can just get back get through this one last arduous day he can be back with his family and his kids and that's how much he loves them and if you contrast that with scott and where he was where he wasn't talking to his kids at the end of his his life i don't think um and he was divorced and he i think he was trying to mend his 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 relationship with his current wife but i think they had had problems too so it's yeah it's a it's a rough rough go but um yeah i'm I'm glad you picked this one because i like the song and i i never would have heard this one or thought about it if you hadn't picked it yeah i was a few years late to it and i'm a big fan of lincoln park and chester bennington's in particular can't remember how i found out about it but i'm like crap he did he did an ep with, with stone temple pilots i gotta listen to this and i listened to it and wasn't disappointed definitely wish that they could have recorded a full album but there was a little bit of Rightfully so. People are like, are you leaving Lincoln Park? What's going on? And he had to just definitively state, like, no, I am forever with Lincoln Park. And I really just did this as a favor. I'm not the front man full time for Stone Temple Pilots. I got to do my mashup with Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we got. So, uh, the only other little thing that I wanted to mention, um, Scott Weiland also did a Christmas album called "The Most Wonderful Time of the Year." Uh, me and my brother talked about maybe doing a song from that on last year's episode of "A Very Daily Christmas." Didn't make the final cut, but who knows? Maybe this year uh, we'll we'll feature a song from that album. But yeah, before we close up uh, and put this one to bed, Delvin, did you have any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to say about Stone Temple Pilots? 
I do. I want to mention that the band's still around and active today. Uh, they have come out with a couple of new albums with the new singer. I think his name is Phil Gutt. And he hits a lot of the marks that Wyland does. And it's good. It, yeah, I mean, is it ever going to take you back to core and purple? Probably not. But you know what? Bands have an opportunity to grow and evolve and move on. And so it's worth listening to those as well. Their last album is called Perdita. And the first song, Fare Thee Thee Well, is just very pretty. And the whole album speaks to their maturity and confidence because it's it's a slow burner. There are no up-tempo uh, guitar-driven songs. They are all laid back, low, and acoustic, and it's it's lovely. It's really nice to listen to. So I, I'm as a someone who's grown a little bit older from when I first started listening to some Temple Pilots. It's kind of refreshing to hear this, but I definitely hope they get back to those driving guitars because I ain't that old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have thought the same thing. And um, yeah, I I can't imagine what would have made me think about this band again. It had really just been so long. Um, but kudos to Diablo Frank for, for kind of suggesting it or throwing it out there and then you jumping on it. Because then I was like, okay, if there's uh, if, if Delvin wants to talk about it, if there's that much excitement, I can definitely revisit. And then once I started putting these songs on my on my player and I started going through these these albums again, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember how much I like this. And yeah, man. how just the, the the sound, and I've been listening to this for two weeks now, uh, and, it's, and it's been a blast. This really takes me back. So, um, talk about being at the right place at the right time. Um, I'm thank you very much for inviting me on, Ryan. I, I do appreciate it, and and I'm glad I just happened to be at the right place at the right time with my phone in my hand. The, <laughs> to bogart that conversation you did you just like left it in it's like hang on there i got something to say about this um and yeah absolutely i always love talking to you um until we meet again or i have another chance to have you on my shows where else can people find you in the podcastosphere you can find me all over the long box crusade network me and my buddies Pat, Jared, and Jason, we do all sorts of hijinks over there. Come check us out. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm on um, at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support the show by going to Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever, and leave us a nice five-star review. Every review for Fire and Water Records helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. As always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.